0: Amen. Hey, at this time, the Grove kids are dismissed out that door over yonder. And uh, as we begin, I, I just want to remind you guys about, uh, it'll be my last reminder, so I'll, I'll stop bugging you. Um, it, it, these cards I, I passed out last week, you know, so that your last quarter of the year 2023 will be your best quarter for the Lord Uh, of the entire year. And there's some commitments that I'd ask you guys to make. If you would, uh, you know, blocks you can check off. There's a spot for your name, email, uh, your cell phone number. Uh, I have a basket here that you can drop them in or you can email them to me. And like all these things are, like I didn't make these up. Like there's nothing here about buying me tickets to the World Series or something like that. They're like $17,000 a pop. So, I think that's what's in my card, isn't it? You guys got me tickets to the World Series. You guys are amazing. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyhow, here's these commitments. Like, I didn't make them up. And if you do these, I guarantee you're going to finish strong in the Lord this year, right? If you participate and our faith comes from hearing, um, we read the Gospel of Luke, some great stuff. Um, uh, pray for Maple Grove and her leadership three times each week. Um, attend church, tend to last three Sundays. Um, Serve in my ministry with renewed passion and purpose, right? Because sometimes it can seem like we're running out of gas, that we're just checking a box and forget that we're actually serving the Lord, and and He's the one who sees, and He's the one that matters. Um, Or maybe find a place where I can serve at Maple Grove, right? Um, We need your help. If you're not serving, that would be great. Um, Share my faith and or invite one person to church. Invite Sunday, right? That's a good one right there. You can... Um, give more financially to the work in Maple Grove in the fourth quarter than any previous quarter. Um, number eight, um, e- each week, give a word of encouragement to at least two people, right? doesn't cost you nothing but can change their life, right? You send them a card, you send them a text, you shoot them an email, let them know you appreciate them, and you never know that someone could be really down. If you pray about this, someone could be discouraged, and you're going to be the answer to God's prayer to lift them up, right? That, that, I think that's a good thing. Um, Engage my community one time through an act of service, which, hey, Compassion Sunday's coming up. So again, I encourage you guys to fill these out. You don't, I I can't make you, but I guarantee if you do these things, you'll finish strong in the Lord in 2023. Okay, this morning, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 11. And again, just a reminder, as Courtney said last week, next week, we're jumping out of our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew for a a four-week study that I'm calling Greater Than. uh, Four conversations about the grace of God. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about uh, greater than our mistakes. Next week after that, uh, the 22nd, uh, grace is greater than our hurts. Got any hurts? The week after that, grace is greater than our weaknesses. And on November the 5th, grace is you know what? I'm not preaching on October 29th. That's uh, Compassion Sunday, all right? I'll be here by myself, right? I'll get do a trial sermon, right? I'm by myself. Okay, so the dates may be wrong. Okay, four topics. grace greater than mistakes, hurts, weaknesses, and circumstances. All right. Thank you very much, Steve. That was good. All right. Hey, Matthew 11, 1 through 15. And and, and what I want to do before we jump in there is I I want to set the context, not just for these 15 verses, but for chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew. If you remember, when Matthew began his his gospel and we began our journey, uh, uh, Matthew's goal, Matthew's aim, Matthew's purpose is to give everyone a clearer picture of Jesus, who he is, the king, and of his kingdom, uh, that's why this series is called, you know, the King and His Kingdom. And, and Matthew in his gospel really answers two questions: he answers, "Hey, who is Jesus?" and "What is this kingdom like?" And listen for ten chapters, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has been answering both of those questions. In his genealogy, Matthew chapter one, one through seventeen, Matthew shows us that Jesus has legal authority to the divinic throne, by tracing his family line from Abraham through David to Joseph, the earthly father Jesus. In his birth, Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 4 about the promised king. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in chapter 2, Matthew tells us that wise men were led by God's star to worship And bring gifts to the one who has been born king of the Jews. Matthew 2 verse 2. In Matthew chapter 3, uh, like any king who would have a forerunner announcing his coming, Matthew gives us John the Baptist. This is who was spoken of through his prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Matthew 3 verse 3. And then to give us Jesus more authority. And Matthew gives us his baptism and God's pronouncing this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Followed by Jesus' victory over the evil one's temptation. Away from me, Satan, for it's written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And then in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7, so 1 through 4, this is who Jesus is. Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus gives us his kingdom manifesto, teaching us about what it's like to live in his kingdom. It's a manifesto about the values and the ethics of his kingdom. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And, and then, so we got, here's what Jesus did. Uh, here's what Jesus, here's who Jesus is, one through four. Here's what he said, chapters 5 through 7, chapters 8 and 9, here's what Jesus did. He comes down from that mountainside and he demonstrates that he has authority over everything. As he heals diseases, cleans lepers, calms storms, casts out demons, raises people from the dead, and forgives sins. Understand, the natural world, the supernatural world, death, sin, and the grave all bow to his command. Amen? And then in chapter 10, Jesus' mission discourse, Jesus calls 12 ordinary average guys to be his apostles, to be the ones sent out to make him known. He gives them instructions. He says, hey, it's not going to be easy. You'll probably get hurt. You'll face persecution and opposition. But you can still be fearless if you, if you seize the purpose, to be eyewitnesses." witnesses, if you tap in my power to give you the words to say, if you hold on to the promise that if you stand firm to the end, you'll be saved. If you remember God's plan, God's plan is for you to be like Jesus. People hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. If you maintain the proper perspective, you will be vindicated. Truth will triumph. You need to venerate God, worship him above all, and remember that you're valued, that you matter to God. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 11 and 12. And now he has a different purpose in mind. Again, this is who Jesus is. This is what he said. Uh, This is what he did. This is who and how he sends us out to display and declare his kingdom. And then in Matthew 11 and 12, he's going to show us, hey, here are the different responses that Jesus will receive as he goes out with his message. And you may want to take a, this is in your notes, but this is a, what, good stuff here. You know, so the people declare and display God's kingdom. Uh, one reaction is doubt and disappointment. Matthew 11, 1 through 15. Uh, Matthew 11, 16 through 17, one reaction people can have, they had then, they have the day, is criticism. Another reaction to the message we see in Matthew 11, 20 through 24, is indifference, like who cares? Uh, A great reaction we see at the end of chapter 11, 25 through 30, is coming to him in our weariness and finding rest. In, In Matthew 12, 1 through 21, we see a reaction people had to Jesus then, and they have the day, rejection and hostility. Uh, we, we see in Matthew 12, and 23, people are amazed by Jesus. We see in Matthew 12, 30, 24 through 37, blasphemy. They attribute the things of Jesus to actually Satan. Matthew 12, 38 through 45, we see fascination with Jesus' claims. And then we see, finally, at the end of verse 12, acceptance and doing his will. All right, so again, this is who Jesus is, that's his purpose, right? He's the king. Here's what he said, the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he did. He has authority and power over all things. Here's what he he means when he sends people out to make him known. And and here are the reactions that people have when people declare and display his kingdom. And now what we're going to do, something we have not done maybe in a long time, usually we take two today. I mean, it's amazing that you're here today. You're going to tell your friends about this. We're not going to take two. We're going to take, da three. <laughs> and the reason we're taking three is I'm going to give you time to fill out your cards. And on that wall over there, you're going to see the projects for Compassion Sunday. That's coming up real soon. And we're going to the laurels. Courtney's in charge of that. She'll be hanging out by her side. You know, uh, it, we also are going to Ronald McDonald House. Bob Glass and Kim Glass will be hanging out by their sign, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bob, what happened? <laughs> I thought you ran your home, brother. <laughs> okay, uh, where where are you going? Hey, okay, Kim, where's Bob going? I just want. To... Bob's going to. We're going. Go- I'm going the to the, the World house. Series. Oh, Bob's going to the World Series. <laughs> okay. Bob will be going, all right? Man, this messed me all up. Bob will be going to Ronald McDonald House, okay? If that's all right with Kim, he'll be going there. And, 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 please take him. Okay, please take him. And, and uh, Mike and I will be hanging out over the Renewing Hope Ministries. It's a camp that does free camp for uh, kids in the summer who come from troubled backgrounds, all right? So, hey, welcome those around you. Fill out your card. You can drop it in this bag. Okay, I'm going to pray us back into our time of study. Heavenly Father, God, we humbly come before you. We acknowledge who you are. And God, I just pray that as we dive into your word that we will have ears to hear. God, I pray you enable me to speak your truth in a way that brings your honor and glory and draws people closer to you. God, may we hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do this. I'm here are the first three verses of the passage that we're going to dive into this morning. Yeah. And my question for you is, are you ready? No one's ready. Are you ready? ready? Two and a half people are ready. All right, okay, that's good. Hey, I'm ready. And, and, and the other question would be, do you think that God might have something to say to you personally today? And and, and here's the deal, if you you come hungry, if you come wanting, if you come expecting this morning, if you come listening for his voice, you'll hear it. In fact, that's exactly what he says, Jesus says, the last verse of our text. He says this, whoever has ears, let him hear. And, And so it's up to you and I whether we'll hear God's truth today. Matthew 11, 1 through 3. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Uh, A question, have you ever been disappointed? Disappointed confused discouraged disillusioned have you ever pulled out the calculator of your life started punching in the numbers and found out that things were not even close to adding up do you ever have doubts about your choices about your decisions uh, about your life do you ever have questions and doubts about about God like why does God move and act so powerfully in some lives and in other lives maybe like yours he seems to be detached, indifferent, not there. Have you ever had thoughts like these? Lord, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. This is not at all what I expected. Why does it always end up this way? If you are my helper, Jesus, then where is that help? Do you see? Do you care? Are you the one? And listen, if you answer yes in those questions, understand you're not the first and you are not alone. I mean, there's a room full of us that experience discouragement. Amen? Amen. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Brothers and sisters, it's October the 8th, it's the second Sunday of the final quarter of the year 2023, and I want to share with you four things that this encounter that John the Baptist, JTB, had with Jesus 2,000 years ago, and what it reveals to us about faith. Especially about those times when we are disillusioned, disappointed, and we are not so sure or certain anymore. First, it reveals that everyone at times will have doubts and disappointment. How about you? But if, if I were asked to pick someone who would question whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, John the Baptist would probably be at the bottom of the list. After all, they are family, there are cousins, they grew up together. I mean, even when John was still in the womb, six months old in the womb, he knew who Jesus was. Luke 1.41 says, when Elizabeth heard, Luke 1.41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, and if God calls a baby in the womb a baby, guess what I'm going to call it? A baby, a person, a life. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. But now 30 years later, John was starting to have some doubts like, like, what's going on? Like, like, why is that happening? Now, at the age of 30, John began thundering in the, Judean, in the Judean desert. And huge crowds, vast multitudes came out to see this wild man who wore clothes made of camel skin, not the, not the height of fashion in that day, and who ate locusts and wild honey. And I think the wild honey was to help the wild locusts slide down. I should have brought some locusts for us to eat today. <laughs> and John's message was that the kingdom of God was at hand. And listen, the kingdom of God being at hand is not a threat. It's an invitation. An invitation to a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a changed life. And let me be clear, John was one bold dude. I mean, when religious leaders came out to see what all the fuss was going on at the Judean at the river of Jordan. Here's what he said. Here's what he said to them. You brood of vipers. Not a term of endearment. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. No, you wouldn't expect John, the camel skin wearing, locust eating, truth proclaiming, religious leader slamming, coming of the Lord preparing man the question to doubt whether or not Jesus was the one. I mean, he seemed pretty sure if Jesus was when Jesus can be baptized and John told his disciples, hey look, here's the guy I was talking about. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And don't forget, John was there when the heavens ripped open and God said, this is my son whom I love with him and I'm well pleased. For 30 years starting at the womb, John boldly cried out, Jesus, you're the one. And now he's not so sure. Why? What's going on? Well, a lot has happened to John in the last year or so. Remember I said he was bold? Spoke the complete truth? One day that boldness, that speaking of the truth got him into a lot of trouble. Uh, One Sunday, uh, John had a sermon on marriage and divorce. And John told the people, hey, you know, King Herod, stealing his brother's wife and sleeping with her Is wrong and sinful. Well, that message got posted on YouTube, quoted on X, formerly known as Twitter. (laughs) Isn't that weird when they say that? And it went viral. Uh, The next day, reporters from the Jerusalem Times and CNN, the Camel News Network streamed out into the desert, asking John, hey, is it true what you said? John, not being one to bow to political correctness, he did not retract his statement. He doubled down. Yes, what I said is true. King Herod is an adulterer and a sinner. And that's John spelled J-O-H-N. The next day the headlines read, Wild Preacher from the Desert Calls Out King Herod. So I heard that John arrested and thrown into a prison located in his mountain fortress on the northeastern shore of the Dead Sea. And like right up here. That's where he's in prison. Herod had a fortress up there. Now he's in prison. And so now this guy who who lived in the wilderness, knew nothing but freedom, is confined to a small prison cell with barely a ray of light streaming from a narrow window above him. And before John knew it, the days turned into weeks, the weeks turned into months, and the month turned into about a year. And so John begins to wonder, Why hasn't my cousin Jesus done anything to get me out of here? I've always been there for that, for him. I mean, isn't the Messiah supposed to set captives free? Guess what? I'm a captive. Like, how can the kingdom of God actually be here if I am rotting in this prison cell? Where's Jesus? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he care? None of it makes sense, unless... I was wrong about him. And he isn't the Messiah after all. I understand, when you go through a period in your life like that, you know, this hard, painful, difficult times, when God seems to be nowhere to be found, you may begin to have doubts. Now, on the flap of James Dobson's book called When God Doesn't Make Sense are these words. When we are young and our health is good, Unchecked, unchecked for me. Right, when we're young and our health is good and we have not yet encountered disease, disappointment, and sorrow, it's easy to believe that life will always be rather carefree and happy. But every person who lives long enough will eventually experience difficulties that are not easy to understand. At those times, the pieces simply will not fit, and God just doesn't make sense. End quote. You ever been there? Have you ever tried to arrange the pieces of life that have been handed to you, and no matter how hard you try, nothing really fits, nothing adds up, nothing makes sense, and God seems to be somewhere else. I mean, you thought that following Jesus would fix your marriage, fix your kids, fix your finances, fix your addictions, heal your sickness, heal the sickness of a loved one. You thought that Following Jesus would bring positive outcomes to your efforts to serve Him, would give you a lot more happy times. You thought that following Jesus would mean that you would become part of a community, part of a family where no one would betray you, slander you, abandon you, and that everyone would love, help, and encourage you. Okay, here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to say. This encounter that that John the Baptist has with Jesus in Matthew 11 verse 3 reveals that first of all that even godly people will have doubts and experience intense disappointment. Is that where you are this morning? In a dark, damp prison cell northeast of the Dead Sea where the hours are turning in the days, the days are turning in the weeks, the weeks are turning the months, the months are turning in years. As you stare at the But light is coming through that window. You're wondering, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, why are things not getting any better? Jesus, is this how following you is always going to be? Jesus, where are you? Do you see? Are you listening? Do you even care? Are you the one? Second, this encounter that JTP, that's what I call John the Baptist, JTB, has with Jesus reveals, when doubting... Fall forward, not away. Question Where do you go for answers? Where, where, where do you seek comfort from your problems and pain? Where do you turn when you are in your own? Matthew 11, verse 3. Again, where do you go when your faith is not so sure and certain anymore? Understand, John did not sit and sulk, he didn't have philosophical debates with other prisoners. And said he went straight to Jesus, he, he fell forward. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, to ask Jesus. Understand, when you're in your own Matthew eleven three. there's only one place you can go to have those doubts answered to Jesus. Don't sit, don't sulk, uh, don't try to numb or escape doubt and disappointment through some sinful behavior or destructive activity. And don't get into philosophical debates with other prisoners. Go to Jesus. Go to his word. Fall forward and not away. Get it? Get it? Good. I I, I want to read some words that some some guy wrote over 4,000 years ago. Question, other than the Bible, how many of you read words that are 4,000 years old recently, right? (laughs) The Bible is not like any book in human history. Amen? I mean, let's just, you can deny it, but there's no book like the Bible, right? Okay, and here's this guy. He's probably the patron saint of Matthew eleven threes. I mean, talk about things not adding up. This guy, he loved God. He, he served God. He did it so well that God often was bragging in heaven about him. And then God allows his wealth, his health, and his kids to all go away here's the deal. In his pain and in his confusion, Job went to God. He fell forward. Yeah, sometimes he questioned God. Sometimes he was ticked off at God. And by the way, God can handle it when you're ticked off at him. Like if you're mad at God, you don't need to go, God, you're awesome and amazing. God, you know what? I'm mad at you. I'm ticked off at you. I don't get you right now, right? God can handle it. Let's be. If there's one person in in existence you can be real with, it's God, right? Be real with him. Tell him how you're feeling. And, and check out some of what Job was able to write and share with us, because when the doubts and disappointments came flooding into his life, attempting to shipwreck his faith, he went to God. He fell forward. So Job receives news that all ten of his children have been killed. Try to imagine getting news like that. They're all gone. Here's what we read. Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, then fell to the ground and, what? Worshipped. Say what? That's not a typo. Yeah, Job's entire world is falling apart. And his first response is the worship. That's so awesome. And maybe that should be our first response when our world falls apart. Worship. He continues. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives. God takes. God's name be ever blessed. In other words, God is God. (laughs) And I will always praise him. A little later, in the midst of his pain and loss and heartache, Job writes this. Job 19, beginning at verse 25. He says, I know, someone say, I know, know. that my Redeemer lives and that in the end. Someone say, "In in the end. In the end. Not now, right? Not now, in the end. Because now there's heartache, now there's sorrow, now there's pain, now there's discouragement, now there's depression, but in the end. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has become destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Amen. And there's only one place to go to have our doubts answered to Jesus and his word. So brothers and sisters, fall forward. Not away. The third thing this encounter teaches us, reveals us, is that our doubts usually spring from wrong expectations. Understand, I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but wrong and unrealistic expectations of your spouse, of your kids, of your parents, of your job, of your church, of your ministry, Steve, of your church members, church members of your pastor, will lead to trouble, right? And you know what we do? Here's what we do. I'm married, so I know this. I have kids, so I know this. I'm human, so I know this. We put expectations on people, and they don't even know it. And then we get in some encounter and maybe they don't say hi to us. They don't do whatever. And they never even knew we had those expectations. And they already failed, right? And we can do the same thing with the God. We can have wrong and unrealistic expectations of God. And let me tell you, that's a path to trouble. That's a path to confusion, to doubt, and to disappointment. Get it? Get it? Good. John asked Jesus, are you the one? And here's how Jesus responds to him. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Now, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is trying to inspire John. Something like this. Hey, hey, don't sweat it, cuz. I got everything under control. I'm doing everything that you would expect the Messiah to do. And that, that's a pretty impressive resume, Right? The blind seeing, the lame walking, blind eyes open, the dead being raised. The good news, priests the poor. Like, how do you argue with that? I mean, you would expect John to hear that, become overwhelmed with joy, come back to his senses and wonder, how in the world he ever doubted Jesus in the first place? Well, listen, the problem is, John already knew all about that stuff. Remember the words from Matthew 11, 2? When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one or should we look for someone else? So apparently the amazing, inspiring work of Jesus didn't eliminate John's doubt. Instead, it actually fueled them. Like, why would Jesus doing so many great things jeopardize John's faith? And why was Jesus expecting them to cause John to doubt? And he really did expect them to cause John to doubt that's why after giving that powerful statement of all the stuff he was doing, he says this, remember? He says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And the Greek word that is translated, does not fall away is actually one word, scandalizo. is where we get our English word scandal. It refers to part of the trap that a bait is attached to. So why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus think that the awesome and miraculous stuff he was doing might become a trap that would cause John the Baptist to fall away. I mean, great waves of miracles don't usually result in someone calling in their faith. Unless, unless those things were, at least to John the Baptist, happening to everyone else except him. Go back and report to John. What you see and hear the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the are raised and the good news is preached to the poor, blesses a man who does not fall away on account of me. See what Jesus is saying? He's basically saying, hey, I love you, cuz. Really do. But I'm not getting you out of prison. And in fact, when I heard you arrested, not only did I come to see you, I actually left the area altogether, and I went to Galilee. Yeah, I know I'm doing some amazing and incredible stuff, changing the life of so many people. I mean, at times I can so feel John the Baptist's pain, but he says, but I have a different path for you. John, don't get caught in the trap of wrong expectations. Don't fall away because I'm not moving or acting in your life how you want or how you think I should. See, when John's expectations hit reality, he found himself in a Matthew eleven three. But listen, in that reality, John went to the only place he knew to go, to Jesus. And that's what we need to do. And whenever we hit that time of doubt, disappointment, disillusionment, we need to fall forward, not away, and fall to Jesus and his word. And and when we do that, what Jesus is going to do, he's going to help you and I adjust our expectations. Basically, three adjustments. Just number one. Jesus reminds us of how things are in this broken world. How things are. Jesus is walking to the garden with his guys. John 16, verse 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Someone say, here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. Oh, cool. Man, I love you guys, man. Now you're with me. I haven't seen many t-shirts like that. Have you? At Christian bookstores? Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows. Yay! Buy the t-shirt. Get the bumper sticker. But take heart. Someone say, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Oh, man, you guys are just, okay, we could be here all day if you preach everything, but that could be fun. It's like I'm back in Bangladesh with saying something and they're trying to translate it. Paul said this, for you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in him, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that privilege, right? Peter said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. In this world, will have many trials and sorrows. We've been given the privilege of suffering for Jesus. We should not be surprised at the painful trials that we suffer. Justice number two is, Jesus reminds us that God has a different plan for each of us. Uh, some get the Peter plan. Not Peter Pan, the Peter plan. <laughs> I'm actually Jif, right? I'm a jiff guy. Uh, um, some get the Peter plan and some get the John plan. We find both of these plans in John chapter 21. right? Jesus is resurrected. He's about to head home. He's talking to Peter. He's telling Peter some encouraging news. Hey, Peter, guess what? Someday they're going to arrest you and they're going to take you off to your death and crucify you. Peter goes, you know what Peter's first reaction was? He points to John. Hey, what about him? Like, if If I'm going to die, is he going to die too? If my life's going to be hard, is this life going to be hard too? And I love what Jesus says. John 21, verse 22, if if I want him to remain alive until I return, if I want to bless his life, if I want to cure his disease, if I want to help him get a new job, if I want to help things work out in his life, what is that to you? Jesus said some of that to us today, right? We look at our life. We look at Facebook. We whine and complain. I can do that. I can look at some of my friends like, my gosh, their, their ministry's blowing up. Uh, why, you know, and, and he says, hey, what is that to you? You follow me. Amen? That's what he tells them. And in and, and this book called The Barbarian Way, it's a free copy someone can grab by a guy named Earl McManus. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive with the return, what is that to you? You must follow me. This is a sticky part of the barbarian call. It's not fair or equitable. When you hear the call, when you follow the call, you must recognize that it is a life and death proposition. When you understand what Jesus means when he says that you must follow him, you finally realize that this is not a cattle call. He's not calling you to the same life that everyone else will live. He's not even calling to the same path that every Jesus follower will walk. Your life is unique before God and your path is yours and yours alone. Where God will choose to lead you and how God chooses to use your life cannot be predicted by how God has worked in the lives of others before you. Jesus' response to Peter was as straightforward as it is, as it could possibly get. If I want John to live and you to die, what is that to you? Your part is to follow me. My part is to lead the way. Christianity, as a civilized religion, claims to have a group plan. Negotiate with God. Everybody gets the same package. And of course, the package is always a premium plan. Get rich, get comfortable, get secure, get safe, get well when you get God. Everybody gets a John plan. Nobody gets a Peter plan. The result and proof of faith are that you get to live a life without risk, which is ironic when you realize that for the early church, faith was a risky business. And always has been, right? S. Noah, S. Abraham, S. Joseph, Moses, David, Ruth, Esther, Paul, John the Baptist, all the apostles. Very risky. It looks to me like they all got the Peter plan. Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. Blessed are those who do not fall away because I did not move in their life as they want, hope, or expect it. Blessed are those who do not fall away because other people are experiencing all the things they themselves long for. Ooh. Just number three. Now this is one you'll enjoy. And, and I really pray that you hear this truth today. I understand when we fall forward, Jesus reminds us of what we can expect when we follow after him. We can expect a peace beyond understanding. We we can expect that His power is made perfect in weakness. We can expect contentment in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living or plenty or one. But we can expect a purpose behind our pain and hardship, that purpose to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We We can expect a reason for living that goes beyond our small, infinite stories. We can expect Christ to be with us to the end of the age. We can expect Forgiveness and restoration every time we sin and fall short. We can expect that in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthened us. We can expect a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We can expect a hope that is living, an inheritance that can never fade, spoil, or pass away. We can expect that our present suffering, hard times, and difficulties, doubts, and disappointment is not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed to us. In in us. We expect that one day the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend. And when he comes, he'll wipe every tear from our eye and take us home to a world without sorrow, without defeat, without doubt, without disappointment, without death, disease, crying or pain, and a world where we'll see him face to face to a world that, that will every minute of every day exceed all of our expectations. Amen? We can expect that. And, and here's a way for you and I to minimize our doubts and discouragement, discouragements, our Matthew 11 3s today. I, here's what you need to say to yourself. I need to lower my expectations about life here. And raise them about life there. Right? Right? Lower them here and raise them here. And you're going to spend forever there. Amen? Get it? Good. Uh, Okay. Last point. Our doubts do not negate who we are. I love what Jesus does right after the disciples, John's disciples leave. They give John the message. See, Jesus knows that some people are going to begin to think that, that John failed, that John was a loser, that John was less because he doubted. And Jesus blows that out of the water. Here's what we read. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Hey, did you go out to see a guy speak who, before he spoke anything, made sure where the winds of culture were blowing, just make sure he said what everybody wanted to hear? No, that's not what you went out to see. John wasn't like that. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This one about whom is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before me. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he was least in the King of God. No one greater than John. Before John, but he says, yet the least in God's kingdom is greater than he is. That would be us. Why? Because we have a better birth. We have a new birth. We have God's spirit living inside of us. Amen? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who was to come, whoever has ears. Let him hear. Why did Jesus wait until John's disciples left to say all that awesome stuff about John? Like, like I, why didn't he tell them, hey, hey, go tell John he's doing a good job. Go, go tell John how great he is. Go tell John that he's hitting it out of the park. Why well, said did he choose to talk about him behind his back? And not the way that we talk about people behind their back, right? Yeah. See, so we talk behind people at the back; that it's judgmental, negative, and critical. And the reason we do it behind their back is because we don't have the guts or the Christian maturity to talk to them face to face. Let's not be those kind of people, right? You know, or, or, unless you're talking good things, right? Unless you're saying, "Hey, Steve is so awesome and amazing," right? You know. Um, Wouldn't those words have been encouraging John to hear? Jesus didn't do it. Why? I don't know for sure. But, but I, here's what I think. I think it's because Jesus wanted John to put his faith and confidence in him and who he was, the Messiah, and what he, the Messiah, was doing and not who John was and what John was doing or not doing or in ordinary circumstances, He talked him behind his back and encouraged him. And here, here's what I want to do as, as we wrap up. I want us to think about something. I'm convinced that there are times when God turns to the angels in heaven and says, "Let me tell you about my kid down there." I mean, don't you think every once in a while God jumps up and slaps the angels, high fives, and says, "Did you see that?" Did you see the way that he or she forgave that offense? Did you see how they responded to that need? Did you see how they reached out to the hurting? How they loved and prayed for their enemies? Did you see that? Did you see how they got back up after getting knocked down again and again? Do you see how how they sacrificed for me and my church no matter what happens to them? Understand, God sees stuff in our life that we may never see. As we wrap up, I want to give us Three affirmations from Jesus that he wants to speak into our lives today. And listen, everyone in this room who loves Jesus, who's following Jesus, who's doing their best to pretend to live the life Jesus has called them to, I want what I say right now to get deep into your heart. I mean, write it down, put it on your Facebook wall, tweet this to all your dysfunctional friends. So you're ready. Affirmation number one. You're doing better than you think you are. I have zero doubt whatsoever that God sent me here this morning that there's somebody that Jesus has been talking behind your back and you're doing better than you think you are. Understand, John couldn't see all the miracles that he had participated in by preparing the way for the Lord. In fact, verse 10, Jesus said, hey, John got the whole thing rolling by preparing the way. You know, I just wonder if God may want to say to someone who feels like a failure, someone who feels like they always come up short, that they never measure up, that they always need to lose 25 to 30 pounds, that they never pray enough, they never read their Bible enough, that all their effort never brings the outcomes they desire. Just maybe God wants to take that burden off your back and tell you this morning, you're doing better than you think you are. I'm saying God does not work through condemnation. That's where the enemy works. Now what some of you are thinking if we tell people they're doing better than they think they are we are giving them a license to slack off. But listen, God's affirmation is not a license to slack off. Instead it's a charge to keep going, to keep doing, to keep pressing forward. You're doing better than you think you are. Now some of you are thinking you're not where you want to be or should be. Maybe not. But you're not where you were. Amen? You see, this journey of faith is one of progress, not perfection. Amen? It's one of progress, not perfection. And and, and it's a journey that's full of tension. You know, know, grace and truth. This tension of, of grace and mercy and our obedience and faith, right? It's this tension that we live with. I was reminded this week and our faith comes from hearing when we read Luke chapter 3, in that talk it over section we have, if you're part of that reading, you know, here's one of the, part of what I shared. I said, Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I need both every day because I live this journey of faith so imperfectly. Lord, help me have a heart of genuine, fruitful repentance. Help me not accept any commission or omission of sin as just who I am or it's not the big of a deal. Lord, this tension of grace and mercy Obedience and faithfulness is a constant battle for me. Help me in it. Amen, right? Just help me in it. Lord, it's hard. I don't know about you. I live this journey of faith so imperfectly. I know God's grace. I don't want to take advantage of his grace. I know he forgives everything, but it's just this tension. And we have to learn to live with that tension, right? Because it's not going away. But God's telling you and I today, we're doing better than we think we are. You want to know how I know you're doing better? You're here. You're in this room or you're watching online. I mean, someone else is, they're washing their car. They're sleeping in. They're catching up on laundry. They're doing yard work, but you're here. And I get it. I get it. It's hard at times to accept this truth deep down. That's why I prayed for us this week that we would have ears to hear because today Jesus is saying to you and to me, I know that you're not where and who you should be, I know there are times that you feel like a failure, like all you do is spin your wheels, accomplishing nothing. But listen, I am God. I'm the all-knowing one. And I say to you that you're doing better than you think you are. Amen? Look, at least two people I, If you know their name, say it out loud. Tell them that you're doing better than you think you are. doing better than you think you are. Number two, we're getting close to being done. But you need to hear this. You matter more than you think you do. You matter more than you think you do. Lord, please help someone who needs this affirmation, who thinks their life doesn't matter to receive this truth today you matter more than you think you do. Understand who you are and what you're doing for him matter more than you think it does. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has been none risen any greater than John. Then Jesus goes on to compare John to Elijah. And listen, John sitting in that prison cell probably didn't feel like his life mattered all that much. But he had no idea that 2,000 years later, there'd be a bunch of people in this building in Charlottesville, Virginia, talking about him. You matter more than you think you do. How do I know? Well, one, because of the price that God paid for you. Yeah. The price God paid for you was not mere gold or silver, as Peter says in 1 Peter, but the precious blood of Jesus, right? And what gives something value? What people are willing to pay for it, right? Now, what gets gold value, what gets Bitcoin value, which I can't even understand. My son spent 40 minutes trying to explain it to me. I don't get it, right? But what gets something value is what people are willing to pay for it. And Jesus said, you're so valuable. Or God said, you're so valuable that I'm going to, the blood of my son is going to pay for you. And I, I know you matter more than you think you do because Jesus said in John 17 that when you surrender to him and love him, that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's, that's pretty cool, Right? Think about how much God loves Jesus. That's how much God loves you. What, and what you do matters more than you think you do. I think it does. John might not have felt sitting in that prison. He had no idea the difference he was still making. Like matter, you have no idea the difference you have and are making. And this is both an encouragement and a challenge. And listen, if you think it doesn't matter if you're there for your kids because they don't seem to be listening anyway. You don't think it matters if you, if you stand up for Christ at work or church in the community because it, no one seems to notice. If you don't think it matters if you renew your passion for your ministry for him and to him because no one really is going to care if you do or don't. No, 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 no. It matters more than you think it does because there's a lot more going on than you think there is. Remember, who you are And what you do matters more than you think it does. I said, you have no idea what that one smile, that one word of encouragement on that one day may have done to change someone's life or encourage them. And listen, those times when you're at the end of yourself and you wonder, does anybody notice? Do I matter? Am I making a difference? Does anybody see? Does anyone know? God says, oh, you better believe I notice. You should see. You should hear what I'm saying behind your back. You should see the ways that I'm using you that you have no clue about. You should see the generations and the lies being impacted because of your obedience. Listen, one day Jesus will say the following, not behind your back, but instead will say it to your face, well done, it mattered, I see you, I appreciate you, it counted, you counted, I'm so glad you didn't quit, I'm so glad you didn't tap out. I was using you when you felt useless. I was working through you when you felt all used up. You are having an eternal impact even when you saw zero results. Fellow Jesus followers, you matter more to God than you think you do. Question, did anybody receive that today? I did. I told my life group, this sermon is for me. I'm preaching to myself today. If it helps you, great. But I it's for me. I need this encouragement. I need this affirmation that I'm doing better than I think I am. That I matter more than I think I do. And I need this next one. This this next one here is so important because if not, we're going to twist and misappropriate everything that God is trying to say to us. Here's this next one. It's less about you than you think it is. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you just said I matter more than I think I do. And now you're telling me it's less about me than I I think it is. Yeah. But which is it? Both. Understand, you matter more than you think you do when you realize that it's not about you to begin with. You matter more than you think you do when you realize it's not about you to begin with. If anybody understood that, it was John the Baptist, right, who said in John chapter 3, verse 30, when people are saying, John, everybody's going to Jesus. No one's, your attendance is crashing. No one's coming to your party, John. No one's following you. And what did he say? He must increase. He must become greater. And I must become what? Less. That's why I have that right here. My first tattoo right there. To remind myself, Christ must become greater. And I must become less. And listen, there is more Freedom and more life and this truth than any of us has yet to realize. Stop making it about you. Stop making it for you. You know why we get bummed out in some situations? Because it's about us. We go to some environment with other people and we leave mad because it was about us. Or they didn't talk to us. They said this to us. Or they didn't say this to us. Well, it's not about you. See, if it's not about you, then... Everything's good, right? Jesus said, whoever finds their life, lives for themselves, will lose it, right? Whatever loses their life for my sake will find it. There is more life in dying to ourselves than we have yet to experience. Amen? Go tell John the blind seed, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf are raised. And also tell John that blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, blessed is the one who truly believes that it's not about them and therefore they do not fall away when things do not turn out for them as they hope, expect it, want it, or planned. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's October the 8th, 2023, the second Sunday, the final quarter of the year 2023. You're doing better than you think you are. You matter more than you think you do. And it's less about you than you think it is. Amen? Amen. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And and what I'm going to ask people to do before singing, you know, if right now you're dealing with doubt and disappointment, we're going to sing this song. It's a great song to sing to end this with, right? about God turning around, right? And and if you're dealing with discouragement, disillusionment, or doubts this morning, you know, before we sing, I'm going to ask you to stand. You know, I'm standing, I'm going to stay standing, because I'm most definitely dealing with it, and and I deal with it a lot, and, and I definitely would covet your prayers, you know, and that I could be like John the Baptist, right, and not make things about me, because whenever I'm depressed about ministry, Jesus like, Hey, I'm okay. <laughs> like, Jesus is still on his throne. The plan is still working. It's not about me, right? And so, but if you guys would pray for me, if anyone else, maybe you're having a hard time, maybe the job, maybe the work, you know, at home, hey, yeah, you in the chair, yeah, I'm talking to you, right? You know, uh, stand up. You know, stand up at home and I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to make this song, you know, and if, if life is great for you, like, hey, man, I got no disappointment. Everything's, Everything has went every way I wanted to, then, hey, great. Um, but we're going to make this song a prayer. If you're dealing with it, you're praying for yourself. If you're like, you're cool, if you're fat, dumb, and happy, so to speak, you know, you know it, you're going to sing this, hey, you're going to pray that person, hey, would you turn it around in that person's life? Would you make things, give them the strength to hold on in their life, okay? So right now, stand up if you're dealing with any kind of discouragement disappointment. Okay? Looks like we're not alone, and if everyone stand as I, as I sing, as I sing in a prayer, <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to bring back the Gregorian chant here, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray, and then we're going to sing this song. God, we love you, and I thank you for your word and your truth. God, I thank you that in our doubts, and our disappointment, and our disillusionments, you're there, and I thank you, God, that you do talk behind our back. And God, I pray for those in this room, myself included, or just, man, the enemy just beats us with disappointment and discouragement and, and things not happening the way we think they should happen. And so, God, I, I pray that as we sing this song, Lord, that you, will, that you will turn it around in our lives. And God, you will turn us around and that we'll fall forward into you and we'll make our lives more and more about you. God, we love you. And I just pray as we sing this, God, that burdens are lifted, In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't picked up your communion yet, we do.